be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your mercy. Thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much that Your ancient Word is just as true and relevant for us today as it was for them, though our application of it uh, may change. Thank You that You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Thank You that You gave us Jesus Christ to be the fulfillment of Your prophetic Word. And so now, Lord, as we begin to climb Mount Everest, uh, looking at the prophets, we pray that You would be with us each step of the way. And that if we were to get to the top, Lord, that we would behold Your glory and give You all the praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in my original schedule, we had uh, about two weeks left of the Old Testament. It's hard to believe. We started in, uh, in September and have gone all, pretty much all the way through the Old Testament, just hitting the highlights. Um, what I have decided is that uh, we're actually going to take three, at least three weeks on the prophets. It's just too much. It's just too much. I was crying about uh, having to um, having to go. I was upset, and I asked her to, to sort of manifest that for, for me. So, um, the um, but it, it, it should, so just to remember memory, it, it is um, this is just an overview of the Old Testament. Uh, there's some things I feel like you know we're going through the E100. It's, it's he he Whitney Cunahome and the Scripture Unit have sort of determined the 50 Old Testament sort of primary passages. But, and then 50 New Testament. The Old Testament is three-fourths of our Scripture. And so to have 50-50 is, is really, uh, it leaves out a lot. And to think that we get, uh, from, from that we get uh, uh, three chapters of Isaiah, two chapters of Jeremiah, no Ezekiel uh, at all. It, it just kind of, for me anyway, it just, it, uh, I, I want to make sure, we, I'm not going to do more than that, but I'm, I want to make sure we hit those things as thoroughly as we can. And so I'm going to do, um, as, I'm going to do an overview of the prophets this week, including Isaiah. Next week we'll do Jeremiah and, and Daniel, and um, if, if we can, and then uh, Jonah and Malachi in, three, in two weeks. So, um, it does feel like uh, just a little bit silly to try. It feels a little bit like trying to climb Mount Everest in 40 minutes. Um, and uh, just give you, so I'm going to give you a very brief overview of the prophets and then look at uh, Isaiah. Uh, the, Isaiah 51, and, uh, 51 to 53, which is what they said in, in there. Uh, one thing I want to just touch on real quick. Two words. Now, this is the classic lector, reader in church error. This, what is this word right here? Prophesy. It's a verb. It's a command. What is this word? Prophecy. It's a noun. Prophecy is what you get from those who prophesy. But when, for instance, when uh, we read in... uh, in the Gospels, that they struck Jesus and shouted at him, "Prophesy, not 
prophecy. It's just, a, it's just an important distinction. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that uh, to our attention. The two different things, they look a lot alike. It, you, you can look and think that says prophecy, but it doesn't. It says prophesy. So it's just, it's very, it's, that's really important. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use the board again in just a minute. Was that our spell check for the morning? Spell check. See, spell check won't catch that. You put S in there, it's a word, you know, and you mean C. So what is prophecy? What is it? To forecast the things to come. Dr. Haldeman, is that, is that correct? Yeah, no, it's partly correct. It's what we think of. It's not wrong. It's what we think of when we think of prophecy. You watch uh, The Matrix or any number of other movies that say the prophecy must be fulfilled. Meaning that which was told before is, is, is coming true. They were predicting the future. But actually, future prediction is a very small part of biblical prophecy. Prophets are truth-tellers. They see what God sees. And so there is a sense in which God sees all. He sees into the future. And so lots of, some of what the prophets tell us is, is what was to come. But they also see the behavior of God's people. And they see the injustice uh, that is happening. And they see... Um, good things, and they see they 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 are truth tellers, and that's that is I think the way um, to understand the prophets. Prophecy is almost always concerned with the calling of the people of God to live a life that honors God according to the covenants. So understanding that God has made a promise and has entered into a promising relationship. Uh, with the people of God, and that the people are really pretty bad at following, uh, keeping their promises. And God calling them to account for that, that is prophecy. Now, when God says, actually, I'm going to bring a solution to all this, that is predictive prophecy. But it's, it's a small part. It's a small part. Um. It is not unusual, however, that a prophet um, spoke better than he knew. That was a phrase that, that our professor used sometimes. Uh, that a prophet spoke better than he knew, which is to say he in, what he intended for his people then took on new meaning as it was fulfilled in Christ. So, for instance, when Isaiah talks in our passage today, Isaiah 53, that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, he was talking about a suffering servant, but he could not have envisioned Christ as Christ came. Um, and I'm sure that... Oh, or Hosea. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Hosea is not talking about a, a messianic figure, figure. He's talking about Israel. And his very next words are, I called my son out of Egypt and you, you disobeyed me. But Matthew takes Hosea's words, out of Egypt I called my son, and puts them right on Jesus. So Hosea spoke better than he knew. He could not have predicted it. He was not, in his own mind, thinking of a, a messianic figure. It is not a good idea uh, for you to do what the New Testament authors have done with prophecy. Let, let them do that um, in the sense that you are. Uh, it is not a good idea for you and me to assign meaning that 
that isn't um, that isn't there. But we can make plenty of correlations. In fact, the better that you know the Old Testament, and especially the prophets, the better you will understand Revelation. And the more you read Revelation, and then you read the Old Testament, the better you understand. So that they work, they work together. Uh, I, this is uh, a book that I, I've always remembered. This quote from from when I read it in in um, uh, in seminary, and probably because I went to seminary uh, near West Virginia and actually went on the Gauley River, uh, which is a uh, a series of class five rapids over a 26 mile run. This is what he, uh, he this is Brent Sandy, and he sa- he's a scholar. And he says this: climb into an eight person raft on an October trip down the Upper Gully River in West Virginia, and you will experience power. Millions of gallons of water being released from the Somerville Reservoir turn the gorge into a competition between water and rock. I'll bring this back to prophecy in just a moment. The rock wins. And the water alters its course, surging over and around and between boulders and canyon walls. The result is roaring white water, massive hydraulics, towering liquid walls, class 5 rapids, powerful enough to stand your raft straight up in the air with you and your buddies in it, maybe. We got dumped a couple times. Uh, Gods prepare rafters for the good and the bad, the rush of adrenaline, the teamwork, the risks, and they need to. Every year the river chews up and spits out hapless victims, but you are there to experience adventure, to behold beauty, to learn respect, to stand in awe, to feel power. Prophecy is like white water. Perhaps the most powerful white water in Scripture, maybe in all the literature of the world. This is language unmatched in what it beholds and in how it describes the beholden, how it describes what it beholds. Words of worship, terror, and mercy are unparalleled. Words of beauty, passion, and hope are unequaled. Words of adoration, condemnation, and salvation are unrivaled. In order to speak to our hearts, the powerful language of prophecy brings God's might and wrath and humankind's sin and doom to life with surrealistic images. At the end of the chapter, he says this, What makes prophecy powerful? Imagine a 20-something American student describing a whitewater rafting experience to a 70-something Bedouin patriarch. The American has something exhilarating to tell about, but how can she express it? The Bedouin ekes out an existence in a water-deprived desert, has barely seen rain, let alone a river, and has no framework for conceiving of millions of gallons of water being released at the base of a huge dam. The Bedouin cannot understand concepts like white water, the deafening roar of crashing water, hydraulics and walls of water. He's also baffled by the notion of pumping air inside of cloth with men and women floating in a boat made of that cloth. He is puzzled by the possibility of people having the leisure or desire to do such a thing. For the American to communicate with this man of sand, assuming language is not a barrier, she must use things from a Bedouin's world and conjure up images that will let him experience a very different world. The combination of something exciting to describe 
and something impossible to describe will result in something like the language of prophecy. The power is in what it beholds and how it describes the beholden. So I've always found that really useful, um, that description. God is describing to his people in ways that are intended to get their attention. They're sleepwalking through life with quiet slumber, spiritual slumber. And he's intending to wake them up through his prophets. So, there are writing prophets and there are non-writing prophets. Imagine you can understand what that probably means. Who are some of the non-writing prophets? John the Baptist. There's no book of John the Baptist, right? He was a prophet. In the Old Testament. Samuel. Didn't write Samuel, right? Moses. Elijah and Elisha. There's no books of Elijah and Elisha. And probably some others. So the writing prophets are the ones who wrote. Who wrote down or had a scribe write for them the words that God gave to them. Those are the... Um, those are the... Uh, you think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the twelve, what we call minor prophets. And I'm going to talk about those uh, that distinction next. So that's like Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Jonah. Um, so there's the non-writing prophets and the writing prophets. Uh, there are the ma- among the writing prophets, there are the major prophets and the minor prophets. Major and minor is not a description of importance. It's a description of volume. So you have Isaiah, is the longest, wrote the most, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those are the major prophets. Then you have what we uh, used to be called the Book of the Twelve, and they're pretty short books. Some of them kind of bump up against Daniel's length. Daniel kind of, people go back and forth about which one Daniel ought to be in. But if you add Daniel into the book of the 12, then it becomes the book of the 13, so that's problematic. (laughs) Daniel is one, and we'll look at Daniel next week. Daniel is one that is apocalyptic. Very, very strange. Um. So, not, it's a matter of size, not a matter of importance. Major prophets, minor prophets. I think that the prophets are hard to read. They're scary. Uh, there's a lot. In fact, I sometimes feel like a numbing amount of gloom and doom. I mean, you can just only read so many times, I'm coming to get you, right? Um, and yet there is also, and we need to not lose this, there is a lot of grace and mercy, and promise, and comfort uh, in the prophets. Um, So when you're reading prophecy, show of hands, have anybody tried tried to read prophecy or read the whole Bible? You've read any? Uh, And and then actually there's not that many people who have read the prophets because they're kind of scary, right? I mean, it's like, how do I read this? So, you can do it. But you have to know 
what is going on around them and who they're talking to. Okay? A study Bible, this is the ESV study Bible. It's my preferred study Bible, but there, there are lots of really good study Bibles out there. Some of you have bought the ESV study Bible uh, because I've recommended it, and I think you'll be closer to the throne in him. So, um, the, um, but a study, like if you just pick up your normal thin line Bible, you'll get the words, but you, it can't describe to you what is who the prophet is going with. It doesn't have an introduction. So, for instance, Isaiah has uh, you know probably four or five pages of introduction, and uh, and so would all of them. But um, but it talks about uh, some of the different scholars' thoughts about who wrote Isaiah and what was going on politically around them, and so you know exactly what is going on there, and it makes everything come a little clearer. It may not be crystal clear, but it comes a little clearer uh, there. The prophets are going to be one of three categories. They're going to be uh, pre-exilic, exilic, uh, exilic. All right, exilic and post-exilic. Now, I heard somebody say, well, what does that mean? Exile, right? So, the exile was, if you remember, that they are, um, they are talking to, uh, 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 God was talking to them and saying, for, in the pre-exilic province, if you don't get your act together, you're going to get kicked out of the promised land. They got kicked out of the promised land. It's called the exile. They were shipped off to Babylon. And then they were brought back. That's after so there's pre, there's during, and there's after the exile, post-exilic. Okay. There's also you need to know who they're talking to. Are they talking to the northern kingdom? I'm just going to write NK, or the southern kingdom, which is, if you remember, right after Solomon, which was yeah the twelve tribes making up the the nation of Israel, right after Solomon, his son. They split. And you have the northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, and you have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, but it's actually Judah and Benjamin. Most of the prophets are talking to the southern kingdom. Most of them are talking to Judah. But there are a few who are talking to the northern kingdom. Uh, Jonah is one of them. And Jonah actually doesn't really fit in any of these, but he's probably in here. Isaiah is definitely southern kingdom, but he fits over all of these. So, you don't know that. And it's important for you to find out. It's going to help help you. In Isaiah, actually, in our, we have three sections of Isaiah, which means there were multiple authors, or he was really old, or he was really good at predicting. Um, I could go through and write down which ones are which, but that's going to take a little more time than we've got, and I'm going to leave it to you to read it in your study Bible. Or email me, and I'll email you back if you want to know about that. You can Google it pretty, pretty easily. Um, but you've got to know who, he's, who they're talking to and when they're talking. That's going to give you so much more insight uh, in there. Um, for instance... 
I mean, if you don't if you don't know who they're talking to, then you're gonna the only filter you have is your own experience, and you're gonna read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, right? Probably some of you had it memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you're gonna think, God has plans for me. He tells me right there. Well, it's true that He does have plans for you, and He is a good and gracious God, but He was not talking to you. <laughs> we can learn what God thinks about us and says to us from what uh, He's... It, it, there is a danger in just assuming that it is talking to you. It's taking it out of context. We need to learn from the context. The context is who, what was going on uh, politically and um, spiritually in that time. So, um, because we, when we read Jeremiah 20, 11, we stop before it says, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and tell the places uh, where, where I have driven you, declares the Lord, I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And you think, well, I haven't been sent into exile. Right, he's not talking to you. <laughs> so... But he does have plans for you. Don't, give, don't hear me saying he doesn't have plans for you, but we just got to do our homework first. Um, we should not assume the author is talking about us. It doesn't mean it's not applicable. But as Christians, we have to remember that all the pro- promises of the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So how can you know that he has plans to give you a hope in the future? Well, you look at the cross and the resurrection. All right? So we've talked about that. Um, any study Bible is going to help you out with the introduction. You also have to uh, let prophecy be poetic. It is almost always poetic. Not always, but almost always poetic. And poets use very concise, but very um, sometimes garish, overwrought uh, language to make their point. You ever read Flannery O'Connor? You know, you're like, she's fantastic. And she wrote, she was talking about her own writing and just the, the, the craft of writing. And she says this, when you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs that you do, you can relax a little and use more normal ways of talking to it. But when you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. Now that brings Flannery O'Connor's writing into the light uh, a little bit, but it also brings the prophets into right, because they were speaking to people who uh, didn't believe what they believed. They were, in a spiritual sense, um, hard of hearing and almost blind, and so they had to shout and use startling images. So, um, a, but a, a common problem when we're talking about uh, prophecies, we don't get the images. When God says to one of the prophets, what do you see? And the prophet says, I see an almond branch. And he says, great, go to Jericho. I can't remember, I can't remember exactly how it goes. But um, we would think, what? That doesn't make, why would you look at an almond branch and think I need to go to Jericho? Well, it's a play on words, but it's a play on the Hebrew. It doesn't come across in English. Well, look at your study Bible. It'll, you'll think, what? So, um, read the prophets, but read them slowly, with purpose. Uh, don't expect to get it all. Just me- read it meditatively. 
Um, it is, they are incredibly rich. So like I said, we're going to look at Isaiah. Uh, for the next 15 minutes, we're going to look at Jeremiah and Daniel next week, and then Jonah and Malachi. So Isaiah is the longest of the prophetic books. It's also the most often quoted of the prophetic books in the New Testament. And so in that sense, we don't have to think very hard to realize it's the most significant prophet in terms of our understanding of who Jesus is in, uh, for our faith as Christians. Who is Isaiah writing to? He's writing to the southern kingdom. He's writing to, to um, the, the northern kingdom. They were pretty... Um, they, they got sent out early. They, they got sort of sent off and, and broken up way before the southern kingdom. Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom and, and their exile. Isaiah tells you when he is writing. Uh, he is writing... Uh, oh, that didn't mark the right place. Let's see. He is uh, writing to the kings of Judah during uh, the times of several of the, of the kings. And he tells us exactly when that is in the very first verse. He says, This is the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So he tells us right up front. Not all prophets do that, but Isaiah is very clear. That's all we know about Isaiah, that he's the son of Amos. We're not really sure who that is, although there is a history that says that Amos was in the royal family. And so Isaiah would have been in the royal family. Usually he, God picks like a shepherd or, or you know, some outsider. But this is, Isaiah was a, a royal. I want you to think about how many people in this room uh, have written something that's going to be read 2,500 years from now. Not many, right? Not many of us. Um, no, yeah, so, so just, uh, just none of us. <laughs> and, um, and it is, uh, so the, I mean, we're look, working with genius uh, here in many sense. But Isaiah's prophecy for the first 39 chapters is, is a pro- mostly warning. It is where we have, you know, a little child shall lead them. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We have that. We have lots of sort of uh, grace God continually saying, it's going to be bad, but I really want it to be good. And God, it's going to be bad, and I really want it to be good. At verse 40, I mean, at chapter 40, we take a turn. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. We, we sing that in our hymns. It's a lo- beloved passage. And that is because now Isaiah is speaking to the people who are in exile. And then towards the end of the book, we get a lot of uh, post-exilic. Well, that would have mean, meant that Isaiah was 200 years old. And so again, either it's several authors, as some scholars will tell you, or it's predictive, as other scholars will tell you. That's the traditional um, stance. And there is never given, we're never given any um, claim to authorship other than Isaiah, the son of Amos. So you can take it for what it's worth. I don't think it takes away from our faith. But, I mean, certainly, if it was all predictive, there are a lot of details that he would have been very clear on that wouldn't happen for 60 or 70 or 80 years after he died. But, who's saying that God can't do that? So, I tend to go with the, um, the traditional view. But I just, again, I've said it before, I, I want to try to read the Bible the way that it wants to be read. 
Now, we could spend 10 or 12 weeks uh, just on uh, hitting the highlights of Isaiah. We could spend five years at least milking Isaiah for everything he's got. Um, but we are given 12 min- 10 minutes to, um, to go through 51, 52, 53. So we have 51 is uh, in 53. That's, that's the, uh, in, we're in exile. And Isaiah is speaking to people who are just going, what in the world... We, are, we were the chosen people of God. We were identified with the promised land. We are not there anymore. How can we worship God in a, in, a, in a foreign land? And this is what the Lord says. Listen to me. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. And to the quarry from which you were dug. Now see, that's, that's poetic language. They weren't dug out of a quarry. It's being poetic. Look to Abraham. Your father. That's what it means, the quarry from which you're dug. You, you are a rock that I have chiseled you out of. Abraham was the first. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Can you just imagine people in exile hearing this and knowing that God has not forgotten them. They hadn't completely blown it. And that that God is speaking to them. Joy and gladness will be found uh, in her. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me and will set my justice for a light to the peoples. So, I wish I could go further, but I really want to hit Isaiah 53. Further and further we go into comfort, comfort. Um, but there is warning. If you get into 58, um, there's, there's definitely still warning in this exilic period. 52, that's where we hear how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. Uh, we hear that a lot. That's quoted in the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament a lot. Um, the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I've always loved that. But Isaiah 53 is one of the most pronounced um, descriptions of the ministry of Jesus. And it was written somewhere between 700 and 500 years before um, Jesus. This is the uh, Good Friday passage. And I just marvel. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got a um, phone or an iPad or if you've actually brought your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to their own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it goes on. But what we have here is, is called the fourth servant song. 
Isaiah is talking about the coming one will be a servant of the Lord. Another servant song, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We're preaching about that last week and this week. But this passage clearly was in the mind of, of Jesus, in the mind of Paul as he wrote uh, the, the theological works, Romans and Galatians particularly, but others as well, as, he under, as, they, as the apostles understood what actually happened uh, on the cross. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. They're taking um, this prophecy, this truth-telling of Isaiah and understanding Jesus' work through the lens of it. So that we see that, um, that we have been given substitutionary atonement. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Which is why we get off scot-free, while we um, are given grace, while we have an open relationship with God and, um, and Jesus has taken upon Himself our grief. We understand that from, from this. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. And out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. So this is it. This is imputed righteousness. This is what, how we understand Jesus. A friend of mine, actually Peter Moore, who was, um, he's been here before, said, he's a lot smarter than me, and he said that he read a, a book, a Jewish book, about going through the prophecies. How can we understand uh, the Messiah who was to come? And he goes through all these different passages and prophecies except Isaiah 53. <laughs> Just left it out. Because if you put Isaiah 53 in there, you have to think, well, it's Jesus. So, the prophets are white water. But you actually can do it. Just do it slow and do it repeatedly so that you, every time I go through Isaiah, I learn more and more. There's parts that I miss, parts that didn't seem to be as important that the Spirit touches in a different way. And I just hope that you will uh, know and, and will be um, prone to read through the prophets in your, um, uh, in your devotions. Because they are your Scripture. And they teach us about the character of God. Both about His holiness and His wrath but also about His grace and His comfort. Quickly, questions? I will assume that that means that there are no quick questions. <laughs> yeah. Alright, let me just pray for us and then we'll go. Thank you, Lord, for, for Your suffering servant. That He is also Your victorious warrior. And He is the little child who shall lead us. He is our wonderful counselor, our Prince of Peace. But thank You also, Lord, that You've also been the God who speaks, who cares to speak to Your people. Thank You that we have the record of Your speaking to Your people. And thank You that in these last days You have spoken to us through Your Son. Let us be faithful, Lord. 
as you would have us be faithful. In Christ's name, amen.